0: Today's episode of Wine and Dime is sponsored by Rooted Planning Group, a fee-only financial planning firm that believes life is about events, supported by your dollars and cents. And we want to help you achieve your goals. Hop on over to www.rootedpg.com to learn more about the services. every week it's my goal to share financial information that helps you in both your life and financial vineyard we hope it takes you from your roots to the journey of your vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft your delicious life like wine life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged hello podcast listeners amy irvine here And I am excited to announce the sixth part of a six-part series we've been doing for uh, the listeners this, this last couple months. And this is this this has been a series where I've talked about different economic terms and terms that, you know, I throw out there like the everyday language that people might not necessarily totally understand the background behind. So just quickly to recap this series. So if you missed any of these parts, you can go back and listen to them. Part one was understanding the importance of the Fed fund rate and how it affects you. Part two was understanding economic indicators like the leading economic index and the Institute for Supply management. Part three, we talked about gross domestic product and how that impacts our lives and why it's important when it's reported. Part four talked about CPI and unemployment and the connection between the two. Part uh, five talked about the consumer sentiment on the investment side. So, investment sentiment actually. And then it also talked about the stock market and the economy and stock valuations and then moving averages. Today, we are going to be talking about general investment terms and different, um, trying to understand the difference between like a bull market and a bear market, what the actual definitions are. But before we dig into that, we, as you know, I've been trying to find different regions to explore and traveling with my taste buds, as I like to say. And I, again, found another region that I would never have thought of for winery. So I'm, and I've been to Tennessee many times. So it's the Tennessee wine region. I've been to Tennessee, I shouldn't say many times, a couple of times, never even thought to look for wineries that were in the Tennessee area. But according to Wikipedia, Tennessee wine refers, uh, I'm sorry, Tennessee has a wine industry that dates back to the 19th century that was greatly impacted by prohibition. But it was reintroduced in the early 20th century. And the modern Tennessee wine industry focuses on French hybrid. Now, I'm a fan of French hybrid um, and native grapes they have as well. But I'm a big fan of French hybrid. Now, one of the things that they've been able to do with the The French hybrid and native grape combination is that they have been able to develop a more resistant grapevine um, that's not, I guess, not as resistant, not as susceptible to fungal diseases and therefore would be able to thrive in Tennessee's humid climate. Most of the wineries in the state are located in the middle and eastern Tennessee with a small portion um, of the Mississippi Delta area. And I guess that's designated as the American Viticulture Area. Um, And it extends southwest to the southwest part of the state. So, again, I have never considered going there for that particular region. But in my travels in the future, certainly going to be an area that I explore because I I love Tennessee. I think it's a beautiful area. And I just never would have put um, I just never would have put that together. So uh, if you know of a wine from the Tennessee region that you really like, please drop me a note. I'd love to try it. I'd love to explain. I'd love to understand um, the flavors that would come from that region. And maybe I'll even feature it here on the show at some point in time. So thinking about today's podcast, I wanted to start out with giving you guys the definition of a bear versus a bull market. Now, I mentioned in the last podcast that a bear market, it was a 20% decline from the peak, right? So I, when I was trying to think of a way to actually explain bull versus bear, or versus bull, however you want to say it, I was just trying to think of a way to put it in words. So, of course, I used Google and I looked at it and I found a great definition on a website called Investopedia, and they gave this definition. Bull versus bear market is the, the opposite of a bull market is a bear market, which is characterized by falling prices and typical shroud shroud typically shrouded in pessimism. Sounds great, right? Uh, the commonly held belief about this origin of these terms suggests that the use of bull and bear to describe market comes from a way that animals attack their opponents. A bear, a bell, excuse me, a bull thrusts its horns up in the air while the bear swipes its paws downward. I did not know that. So I thought that was interesting, thought I would share that with you. I mean, I knew what the difference between a bear and a bull, but I didn't know where it came from. Now, these actions are metaphors for the movement of the market. If it tends up, trends up, it's bull. If it trends down, it's bear. So a bull market and a bear market often coincide with economic cycles. But like I've said in the past, they're leading into which consists of four different um, phrases, right? So expansion, peak, contraction, and trough. The onset of a bull market is often a leading indicator of economic expansion. I mentioned that last time. Because public sentiment about future economic conditions drive stock prices, the market frequently rises before the broader economic measures, such as gross domestic product, or anything like that. Likewise, bear markets usually set um, set in before economic prices falling. The range seems to be the general range when you read about what's a bear and what's a bull tends to be that 20% range. So there's no specific universal metric, uh, but but when you think about what I said last time, a bear market tends to be a 20% decline. So when we think about the most common definition of a bull market, then it would also be that it has risen about 20%. So over a period of time, it has gone up about 20% from its recent lows. So bear would be down 20 bull would be up 20. So there's the mystery behind the bull versus the bear market definitions. Then I want to move into uh, a, I guess a variety of terms and we'll we'll put the we'll put these in the show notes so that you guys can pull these up at some point in time, but they're just general investment terminology that we've heard a lot of people ask questions about or, you know, ask for clarifying definitions of. So one of those terms is called diversification. Now, some people believe diversification is just owning multiple stocks. However, we believe it is about variety of asset classes and about taxable type asset types. So, yes, it's about um, owning multiple stocks, but you also should have bonds. You should have real estate. You should have stocks. You should have cash and you should have taxable and you should have pre-tax and you should have non-taxable accounts. That's our belief but that's diversification. Um, so market capitalization is another big term. Now, market capitalization refers to the size of a company. It's, it's the term is used to measure the company's size by multiplying its stock price by the number of outstanding shares. People sometimes mix this up with the company's overall value or worth. That is not the case. So to break this down a little bit further, let me explain the difference in a very high level. So companies are typically divided into market capitalization of large cap, mid cap and small cap. Now we're talking about stocks at this point in time, right? So large cap would be 10 billion or more. So 10 billion. Mid cap would be 2 billion to 10 billion. And then small cap would be 3 million to 2 billion. Pretty big ranges there. So when we're talking about, you know, that market capitalization, we're referring to large, medium and small. That's what we're actually referring to. Moving on to the next question, we get a lot of, about dollar cost averaging. And this is a okay, this is one that it is a strategy to you know, put money into the market over time. But a lot of people sort of misunderstand the reason behind it. It's I guess regardless of the asset price we're putting money in, right? So that's that's something that we're. when I talk about uh, dollar cost averaging, I'm saying like your 401k as an example. You're just putting money in every two weeks. You don't even realize that you're putting it in. Put your dollar cost averaging. And so regardless of the asset price, you're not trying to asset time it. You're not trying to do anything like that. You're just dollar cost averaging in. And and why we love it so much first is savings is always good when you set it and forget it, especially if you can auto increase it, if there's a way to auto automatically increase the amount that you're putting in every year. But this also helps you avoid market timing and definitely helps reduce the impact of market volatility. There's been study after study after study. And I usually report about, you know, how trying to time the market affects your performance. And typically it doesn't work. So we love dollar cost averaging. And that's what we mean when we say dollar cost averaging. Another term that we use a lot is liquidity. And liquidity um, for us, when we think about liquidity, those are assets that can be sold very quickly, meaning or, or or you can get to it very quickly. Well, the opposite to that would be an illiquid asset. And that would mean that it would take some time and the results might be that fluctuating a bit more. So when now sometimes because we think of it as I think a lot of people out there refer to the ease at which the asset can be converted to cash without significantly affecting the market price, which is true. That's partially true. But we also want to think about what do you need that money for a lot of times. And when I think about liquidity, I do think about how quickly we can convert something to cash. But I also think about, you know, what the impact of that would be. So when I talk to people about what do you have for cash, that's the that's the reference I'm talking about. And I don't generally talk in terms of liquidity for people. I talk in terms of what do you need for your short term um, achievement? What do you need for your long term achievement? What do you need in the middle? Because most assets in today's world, if they're invested, are liquid, except for like maybe some real estate investments or your home or those sort of things. But from an an overall investment perspective, almost all of your assets, unless you're in a year, a very unique investments are liquid. It's just that they may be impacted by the price. Something that we've heard a lot about, especially in 2022, we heard a lot about short selling. So that's another term that I want to take uh, a moment to explain. Now, this is a strategy where the investor borrows shares. Okay, they borrow shares and immediately sell them, hoping to buy them back at a lower price and then return them to the lender and then they would profit on the difference between what they sold the borrowed shares for and what they actually got when when they bought <laughs> so when they bought the back I guess you want to say when they returned them to the lender the concept is it can be very risky right because you're selling something when you think it's at you you think it's at a low you're you're selling something when you think the price is going to go down and you don't own it So if the price goes up instead, then you have to make up the difference between what you sold it for and got proceeds for and what the price actually did. So if it doesn't decline as it's anticipated, then it's something that you would be on the hook for the difference. That's not something that we would say that we would recommend to a lot of people. That's something that needs to be watched and very closely and we would not recommend it as a normal process. Another term that we like to explain to people is what's called ETFs or exchange traded funds. People frequently confuse ETFs with mutual funds. They are two different vehicles. And while both of them are pooled investment vehicles, ETFs are traded like stocks on an exchange and can be bought and sold throughout the trading day. Unlike most mutual funds that are priced and traded only at the end of the day. And the terminology between mutual funds is actually um, not traded. It's liquidated. So that's actually the term that we use when we are talking about mutual funds. So we don't say sold. We use the word liquidated when we're talking about mutual funds. There are a few closed-end mutual funds, as an FYI, that are traded differently. But for the majority of mutual funds, they are only purchased or liquidated at the end of the day where ETFs can be traded throughout the day. ETFs also can have what's called a discount or a premium on them. So if you add all of the underlying holdings, um, add them all up, then you can, if you buy that ETF, you can be buying it at a lower cost than what that bucket equals, or you can be buying it at a higher cost than what that bucket equals. That's not the case with mutual funds. Mutual funds, It's always going to be at par. Whatever that adds up to, that's what you're going to be purchasing it at. And the final term that I'm going to end today's podcast with is called capital gains. Capital gains, um, a lot of people use this term loosely, but it refers specifically to the increase in the value of an asset, such as a stock, real estate, or whatever, mutual fund, Um, from the time it was purchased to the time it was sold. Capital gains may be subject to taxes depending on the holding period. So if it's a short-term capital capital gain, it's subject to ordinary income tax. Or if it's a long term, I mean it's been held for more than one year, then it's long term. If you inherited that, it typically goes to the long term. So it and it gets a stepped up basis. So the new cost basis of that would be the date of death of the owner. One thing that I always think people get confused about is the difference between capital gains and capital gain distributions. Capital gains are where you actually sold something and recognized the gain. So you physically liquidated or sold something. A capital gain distribution typically comes from a mutual fund. A mutual fund is being managed, meaning things are being sold and bought within the mutual fund. Maybe even indexes have some uh, capital gain distributions because different um, companies change in capitalization rates. And so they, you know, some shares get sold, some shares get bought in different companies. So capital gain distributions are sent out typically at the end of the year by the mutual fund company. You didn't do anything. It happened within the mutual fund itself. And in order for the mutual fund to stay tax free, they have to push those out to you and you then recognize them on your tax return. This is why at the end of the year, we're usually running some estimates for a lot of our folks because those capital gains, we don't know what they're going to be. They come out with some estimates around October, November time frame so we can start to run some things, but they can do things in the portfolio after those estimates come out that still could make our, our projections be off a little bit. But the difference, again, between capital gains and capital gain distributions is that capital gains are something you physically do or we do for you. And capital gain distributions are something that are pushed out through mutual funds well we hope you have very much enjoyed this six-part series where we talk about economics and investing and hopefully some of the terms that i've utilized in my monthly uh, webinar and uh, market release that i put out there hopefully i've explained them a little bit if there's terms that you wish you knew a little bit more about or you've heard and you think you know about but you'd like further clarification please drop us a note we'd love to hear what you'd like to hear about, of course. And I'd be happy to do another um, series of terminology or um, you know explanation on this particular topic. Again, thank you for listening to today's show. We hope you've enjoyed the episode and we would love it if you would share it with your friends that you think could benefit from listening to this podcast. And certainly if you could take just a moment to rate us on iTunes so that more people like you can find us. Thanks everyone.